You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would send your spirit into our midst, uh, that you would uh, ignite in us a spirit of excitement of what you're doing uh, here, and that we would be ever mindful of uh, the shoulders upon uh, whom we stand upon, and that we would continue to be faithful to the witness of your gospel, uh, even to the end of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Uh, this week we are talking about uh, shepherding and outreach, and... Before we do that, I want to do two, of course, this is me trying to, it's just, you know, cutting off more than I can chew, Uh, but, oh, there we go, Susan, Susan, come up here, please, let's make it fun, let's make it fun, no, that's not fun, that's just generosity, and I don't, I don't want you to do that, Um, do you want me to take them? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, are we giving these away right now? Okay. So we're giving these away uh, for anyone who wants to tell me what their pledge card is going to say. I'm just kidding. So we've got a bunch of boxes uh, back there. So uh, just take one down and pass it around. Twelve more boxes of books on the wall. Um, And uh, and the the bishop uh, is happy to uh, sign them, right, for a small fee. And, uh, and uh, it's a really great book. I had the real uh, honor of uh, reading it before it went uh, to print. And it's an incredible story. It really is uh, not to be believed. It's quite literal in its title, From Barefoot uh, to Bishop. Uh, so uh, it's and it, above that, I mean, it, it's a testimony to, to God's faithfulness to his people. Um, so, I mean, I think that he should have dedicated a whole book to Chantal, uh, because that's a whole other story in and of itself. So, and their daughter, Erica, just was married. And Bishop, tell us, what, um, tell us about the exchange. Tell us how the cows are involved. <laughs> well, we have a tradition in Rwanda when you give your daughter away for marriage, you get some cows. And uh, that is a long negotiation that comes to almost a, a two-hour dialogue, discussions, poetic uh, play of words, and we ended up with two cows that now have given birth, so we have four. <laughs> so it is, uh, it, is, it, is, it is an amazing, that, that is part of what we call a Rwandan traditional engagement. So you don't get the ring, you get the cows, but after that with the modern times, they will also exchange a ring. But traditionally, cows are it that shows that uh, she has been engaged. I'm for it. I'm for it 100%. <laughs> it's amazing. So uh, be sure to, to pray for Erica and Junior as they begin uh, their marriage together. Uh, Erica looks like her mother, praise God. And uh, she's just a beautiful, stunning young woman and faithful and uh, really uh, very happy for them both. Okay, so... Uh, we are going to, uh, I'm going to very quickly work through our first devotional, because today's the first day, and I just want you, someone can even time this, to see uh, how quick, quickly it goes. Whatever else, Revelation is a glimpse of inexpressible reality of God, 
a reality that is holy and completely other than anything we are. He is holy. Twice in Scripture we hear that He is holy, holy, holy. Here in Revelation and also in Isaiah 6, as Isaiah glimpses the same reality. Isaiah's response to that, is Isaiah's response to that glimpse? Woe is me. Even partially apprehending who God is leaves us recognizing our own unworthiness. But God, being rich in mercy, comes to us just as He went to Isaiah, telling us that we are loved. Our response is worship. And the same thing that Isaiah uttered, here I am. All of our worship is witnessing to this rich, merciful grace of God. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Revelation 4.8. Let's pray this prayer together at the bottom. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That's it, right? That's it. Great conversations around the breakfast table or with friends about what does it mean that God is holy, what is the nature of holiness in our own lives. So you can really uh, take it. The other thing that we've developed is uh, just a little short uh, video uh, which I am really uh, very happy with. So if you don't like it, sorry for you. Uh, but uh, I-, I wanted to share it with you. It's on our website now. Sixth Avenue and 20th Street began before time. But it was in 1872 that God did place Philip Fitz on this corner in a new town called Birmingham to start our church. The calling, the mission, the purpose was to proclaim the gospel. The calling was to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples in this new place and beyond. With daring confidence, the journey began. A journey of discipleship, ministry development, outreach, shepherding, worship, and communication. 145 years later, the calling still remains. The purpose still remains. With daring confidence in Christ alone, this is our affirmation of purpose. been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In a life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We will hold the gospel at the center, rooting our worship in the English Reformation, making it always accessible and hospitable. 
we will communicate in ways that effectively enhance and further the ministry and purpose of the Advent. We will focus on the reconciling word and work of Jesus Christ as they propel us in the way we care for and live with one another. We will serve the Lord Jesus Christ by engaging in his spiritual and material restoration of our city and world. We will equip every member of the Advent for the work of discipleship by creating and nurturing a culture that responds to the grace we have received from Jesus Christ. We will identify, develop, and equip leaders for full-time professional ministry at the Advent in the Episcopal Church and in the Anglican Communion. We are the Cathedral Church of the Advent. We are a church with a living, daring confidence in God's grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not in self-confidence that we live. It is in Christ confidence. We exist to proclaim the freeing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make disciples wherever God has placed us. I know the voiceovers are the best part. Um, no, I just, uh, I'm sure you could recognize some of the voices, but uh, I do want to note especially that the music is uh, Zach Hicks and Emily Franklin, D. Franklin and Seal Franklin's daughter. So uh, really, um, D, come up here and sing us something. Let's see if it's genetic. <laughs> um, it's really amazing. Um, so hopefully that gives you, it lays out all of our... Um, in our affirmation of purpose and uh, what it is that we're uh, about in this visioning process and indeed uh, in our ministry. So uh, we're going to get a little short-sighted here, but uh, let's move forward. Uh, Shepherding and outreach this morning. Uh, We will focus on the reconciling word and work of Jesus Christ as they propel us in the way we care for and live with one another. Outreach. We will serve the Lord Jesus Christ by engaging in a spiritual and material restoration of our city and our world. Now, when I use the word shepherding, what does that make you think of? Sheep, yes, that's very good. What are we talking about here when we talk about shepherding? Some people might call it pastoral care, uh, things like that. But really, I mean, we can go so far as to say that we're trying, how do we care uh, for one another at the Advent? Uh, What does that look like? It's actually not something that's centrally located in an office that Joe Warren or Craig Smalley uh, run. Now, the thing about it is, is that what's amazing about it is that for a church this size, how little actually slips through the cracks. I mean, sometimes stuff does slip through the cracks, but that team does a remarkable job. But when we actually talk about shepherding and pastoral care, or actually pastoring, 
Uh, it's much, much more than just visiting somebody uh, in their hospital bed. Uh, but actually, almost everything that we do pastors people. It leads them and guides them in some way. Uh, now, what I also say about shepherding and pastoring, what would you say about a shepherd who has one sheep? Not much of a shepherd, is he? <laughs> right? uh, shepherd, shepherd sheep. Right? They have a flock that they shepherd. And so even though there's certainly a place for one-on-one work, visiting people, and I spend a lot of time doing one-on-one work with, the, with Bibles open and talking to people about the Lord Jesus, but uh, we shepherd flocks. And that's really hard to do at the Advent because it's not very often that all of y'all are together. Uh, and so actually, I'm, sh- I'm at my most pastoral and the most shepherding I could possibly be when what? When I'm preaching. When I'm preaching. That's actually shepherding because I can shepherd uh, from the pulpit in a way that I can't. But even more than that, it's how we shepherd one another. Now, uh, I'm, I'm known for, um, you know, for, for making jokey remarks uh, about things, uh, but sometimes I mean it and uh, somebody came up to me once after the 7.30, and they were upset that we stopped reading the last name of the people we prayed for in the morning prayers. And we did that because people were complaining. They didn't want their names read. They wanted to be prayed for, but they also didn't want it on the radio and things like that. So to honor that, God knows who they are, right? God knows who Jim is. God knows who Holly is. God knows who all those people are. But this person came to me and was very distressed, and they said, well, we prayed for Anne this morning. And I said, yes. And she said, well, I have a friend who's Anne, and, and, and you didn't give the last name, so I don't know if it's her. And I said, well, you, if it is her, y'all aren't good friends because you would know she's in the hospital. Um, uh, but, but my word to her was, why don't you pick up the telephone and call Anne? Or the person who says to me, oh, pastor, you know, Sally's in the hospital, and she could really use a visit. And I'll say, please give my love to her when you go and see her. And in fact, why don't you take some flowers from the communion table? I know that she would love to see you. Uh, Frank Limehouse said that he, he, he did not want my face to be the last one he saw before he died if he was in the hospital. And, um, and it's not that I'm not pastoral, but I mean, but... Y'all have encountered people like that that just have the knack. I mean, there's some people in this room, I won't name their names, who actually are better at sitting at a bedside and, and ministering to them than I can. You don't want me. I'm terrible uh, at that. I mean, when you are sick and you're in the hospital or you're laid up in bed, uh, how many of you want me to walk in and say, let's do an exegetical Bible study on the fourth chapter of Romans? No, you say a little prayer. You know, maybe smuggle in some Jim Beam or something like that. And, 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 and then leave, right? You don't really want uh, someone, uh, and I do, I do like to visit, but what really was remarkable to me watching Joe Warren work, and Craig does the same thing, is actually how little time Joe Warren spent in the hospital rooms. He'd go in, he'd visit, he'd say a little prayer, and then he was out. I mean, everybody loved Joe. I mean, he did a really remarkable job, but I think he got it, and he went and did what he needed uh, to do. Uh, but again, sometimes it's not the ordained clergy who are the ones who actually uh, have that ministry. 
but any of us uh, here. So that's why one of the things we're putting out there is to build and train a large team of volunteers to improve the experience of visitors, newcomers, and members uh, on uh, Sundays. So that would just simply mean, and we're already doing this, we didn't need a visioning process for this, but how can we be more hospitable to people who are coming to the Advent on Sundays? Uh, Because we get guests every single Sunday, and as you well know, if, uh, well, let's just walk through a Sunday morning. You're new to the Advent. You've actually never been. You get in the car, you drive, you pass several churches to get here. You finally figure out, I feel like at every house closing in Birmingham, they should tell you how to get on 280 from downtown. Like, it's just in there. And uh, you finally figure out how to get, get down here, and then you're looking around, and you're like, where do I park? So you park, and you got this kind of sketchy alleyway, and you don't really feel comfortable about it, so you kind of walk around to the front of the church, and until this year, uh, all the doors that would be most obvious to you were locked. The only door that was open was the one under the, uh, the covering, Uh, and you have to go through another set of doors uh, to get to it. And then you walk in, and it's a total bottleneck. And uh, there may actually be some people in the back that that snarl at you because we're 30 seconds from starting, and you've just done all of that, and then you're thinking, but what do I do with my kids? I mean, do you want to be here the first time and let loose in the day school? You'll never get out. You'll never get out. Uh, In fact, there are people wandering there today. Uh, And... Um, uh, and then you, you finally get there, and then the 9 o'clock service ends. If you go to the 9 o'clock, and you see all these room numbers, and you think, well, where, where is it? And you just kind of follow the herd into Klingman Commons, and you don't know what coffee pot's what. and where, The living room, where, where is that? Uh, and, and normally, you probably just, if your first Sunday here, I bet you just came in here. Uh, not because you wanted to hear what insights I had into the Bible, uh, but because you followed the crowd. You just moved in in this direction. So having uh, folks uh, ready to welcome people in on Sunday mornings uh, is really, really important. And not just to tell them this is where the nursery is, but, hey, I'm going to take you to the nursery. Uh, I'm going to show you where it is. I'm going to introduce you. uh, Because if you've got little kids, if you've got little kids, you would know this. Like, the nursery is kind of a make-or-break thing for a church. Like, if your kids are unhappy and you don't like the nursery... You're just going to go uh, somewhere else. And so, uh, and praise God, we have a great nursery. Uh, But having those people, too, to develop and implement ideas that deepen the spiritual experience of members, particularly in areas related to prayer, pastoral care, community, and service. And this is just developing a culture of shepherding here at the Advent. So rather than saying, well, one of the clergy will do it, we ought to do it. I mean, this is one of the things that's funny and almost particular to American Christianity that is really bad, and that is, friend is sick, like real sick, and is at home. And you call them up and say, hey, can I bring a meal by? And being good Southerners, what do we say? No, I'm, you know, I'm fine, no, that's all right, thanks so much for thinking. When in reality, what do they need? They need a meal, they need someone to look after their kids, they need to have their house cleaned, and they need somebody to mow the grass. Right? In almost every other culture where there are Christians, do you know what they do? They'll call them up and say, hey, can I? they bring the food, somebody's mowing the grass, someone's taking the kids, and somebody's cleaning the house. It's just what you do. You don't ask permission. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, permission granted. And uh, we will say no a thousand times before we say yes. 
Uh, It's just, it's something endemic in our culture that we don't uh, want to admit our weakness and dependency. And if we can't admit our weakness and dependency that we need one another, how are we going to get that to that place with God? I mean, if we're reluctant to have somebody fix us a bowl of soup, uh, how much harder is it to actually give our lives over to Jesus and allow him to take over? And so it's important that we continue to foster that culture where we take care of one another, and so many already do here. And some of them just need permission, and others just feel like they've gotten lost in the shuffle. And so how do we incorporate those people who just feel like they're not a part of the orbit? And I do hear people say things like, well, Andrew, I'm just not a part of the inner circle at the Advent. Uh, I'd love to know who those people are, uh, because I'd like to be a part of it too. But the Advent is a juggernaut. I mean, it's an ocean liner. Uh, and I went away for two weeks over the summer and came back, and one of the staff said, I said, well, good to see you. And they said, where'd you go? Like, they had no idea I was gone. <laughs> I mean, it's just got momentum. It, it just keeps, it keeps going. And so it, it's really hard to keep up, one, but two, to actually stop and think, who are we leaving behind? Uh, who needs to be brought uh, up into where we are and where we are going. Logistically, explore moving the nursery to a larger, more convenient location, possibly partnering with the Advent Episcopal School. Uh, so right now, our, uh, our nursery is uh, not big enough. Uh, it's just not big enough, and we've kind of maxed it out. And if you have a child in the nursery and a child who's four years old or five years old, your children are as far apart as they can possibly be and still be on Advent property. Uh, Who in here has clocked it? Somebody clocked it not that long ago of how many... It's something like if you go nursery, day school corner, day school corner, nursery, it's about a quarter of a mile. Um, And if you have to... And that doesn't count all the running around that you're going to be doing. Uh, I mean, we're really big on getting your 10,000 steps in uh, at the Advent. Uh, But... Uh, we'd rather it be voluntary than involuntary. And so finding a place in the nursery, well, a nursery that's big enough, which means possibly reappropriating our current existing space, uh, or B, partnering with the day school to see if we can work together uh, and share uh, some space in order to make that happen. And then four, uh, apart from the intervention of the Holy, uh, Holy Spirit of God, we can do nothing. The entirety of the ministry given to the Cathedral Church of the Advent must be committed to prayer. If I had to pick one that we should have just bowled all over the whole thing, this is it. Uh, this is absolutely it. I mean, we are absolutely a people of prayer, but especially amongst Anglicans, there seems to be a real reticence and reluctance to pray, especially out loud. Well, one... The prayer book is intimidating, right? Because you think, if, I, if these are the prayers, if this is the standard, I'm not going to make it. Uh, that, and, and we just get nervous, and, and understandably so, that you don't want to say anything wrong. And if you've ever been in one of those groups where there are multiple people praying, rather than praying along, you're actually crafting your prayer in your mind so when it gets around to you. Uh, but in reality, if that's the case, uh, you're not praying to God, you're praying to who? The, uh, and the other people in the group, right? You're, you're more worried about what they say, and Jesus had something to say about that. He said, look, beware of people who have really long, verbose prayers that draw attention to themselves. Uh, great prayers in the Bible, three-word prayers. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Or 
if you want to uh, add a couple more, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Right? Those are the prayers uh, of a broken and contrite heart. And it really is. The other thing, too, is that, you know, it's amazing how, you know, you can get somebody who is speaking normally, and then uh, when they start praying, they sound like an extra cast member on Downton Abbey. <laughs> like, they just affect this prayer voice uh, that is uh, otherworldly. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do this, but especially if you're the advent, the number of people who say, Dear Lord, we thank Thee that Thou hast... Uh, is that how you talk to people? No. I, you know, uh, Lord, we come before You, uh, grateful for what You've done uh, in our lives. Uh, God expects you to speak to Him uh, in the same way that you would speak uh, to other people. It's not your tone. It's, it's not your vocabulary. Uh, it's, it's the content, right? It's what you're trying uh, to say to God. And even if you mess it up, uh, the prayer that God is listening to is, is the one that's prayed where? Your heart, right? And we have the assurance that the Holy Spirit is going to take our prayers and actually conform them into the will of the Lord Jesus, right? So the prayers that Jesus prays to the, our Heavenly Father are the prayers that are supposed to be prayed. So in prayer, you really can't uh, blow it. And so pray with boldness. And then just logistically, a couple things we're going to start doing. Uh, we're going to have monthly prayer meetings at Cranmore House. That's going to be the first Monday of each month at 7.15 p.m. And then um, primetime prayer, that's what I call it. Uh, and, then, uh, and then also, uh, we're going to start a ministry where people are actually praying during our services for the services and the people in them. Especially, you know, one of the great things is um, uh, it was, I think, Spurgeon or Moody. Someone can correct me. Uh, when uh, someone, he was giving them a tour of the church, and he said, I want you to see the most important place. And he took them underneath the church building into the boiler room. And they thought, he's really into engineering. Right? He really cares about making sure that it's temperate for the parishioners. Uh, and there they saw, in the middle of the boiler room, a prayer desk, a kneeler. And while they were preaching, somebody was underneath of the pulpit praying. I mean, that's, that really is what it's all about. The great verse or passage on this is Ezekiel 34. Uh, Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. Remember, Ezekiel preached the word of the Lord. And what happened? They all came together, but they were still like dead men. And it wasn't until Ezekiel began to pray that God would breathe his spirit into the bodies did they come to life. And so if we're trying to get, it, get by uh, in our own strength, and we can have the most polished, well-crafted sermons, and that might produce a church full, full of the best-looking dead people you'll ever want to see. Uh, but unless the Holy Spirit of God actually breathes into uh, our people and into our ministry, it's for naught. It's completely for naught. Moving on very quickly, outreach. We'll serve the Lord Jesus Christ by engaging in a spiritual material restoration of our city and world. Foster and develop a culture where Adventists, through the work of the Holy Spirit, take part in evangelism, doing justice and loving mercy, and create and deepen engagement with the Advent's ministry partners. Now, this tenet actually needs to be fleshed out a little bit, and we're going to do that uh, when we begin to develop action teams. Because how do we get Adventists... Uh, one, aware of what it is we're doing in the field of mission and outreach, uh, but two, how can they get engaged? That, and if they actually feel led to do something, like lead a Bible study in their workplace or to begin a program in a local school, whatever it might be, how can the Advent support and equip them? 
that, that's really uh, an important and, and long work. I mean, the Advent is 100% committed uh, to mission uh, and outreach, but it still only consumes a tiny sliver of, um, of our congregation and participation. And so how do all of us, uh, you know, I was leaving a church one time, it was a Roman Catholic church, and there was a placard above the door that said, you're now entering the mission field. What does that look like uh, for us to, be, to know that we're all missionaries? And in a sense, I don't know if you know this, but if you're a member of an Episcopal church, you're technically a missionary. So if you were to go to, um, if you were to, go to a courthouse in New, York, in New York and try to find documents of incorporation for the Episcopal church, you'd never find them because legally the Episcopal church does not exist. It doesn't exist. There's no such legal entity in the United States of America. There is, however, a legal entity known as the Domestic and Foreign Missionary Society. That's actually our legal name for our church. So when you join an Episcopal church, you actually become a missionary in the Domestic and Foreign Missionary Society. So get to work. Just kidding. Um, uh, but you see that when, they were, when the, the Episcopal church was being formed, that's how important our forefathers and mothers thought it was that they, they, did, they, they incorporated under that name. That's what they thought was important. Now, unfortunately, in, in, as I was getting ready to, um, to gather some research that I didn't put into my sermon this morning, uh, I had Eva call the National Church Office uh, to see how many full-time missionaries the Episcopal Church had engaged around the world. And um, I, I was actually surprised by this. A couple, about... 15 years ago, it was about 75, and now it's zero. We do have a program called Volunteers on Mission, which is a great ministry that takes recently graduated college students and puts them for a year out of school in the missionary field, normally in one of our non-domestic dioceses like Haiti or the Dominican Republic. Uh, but right now, as a denomination, we send zero full-time missionaries into the field. It doesn't sound like a church, does it? So uh, that's a culture that, uh, and a lot of people have a lot of reasons why we aren't doing that, uh, but uh, it would be foolish of us and unfaithful of us if we didn't take the Great Commission seriously uh, and that we really actually didn't take uh, seriously uh, God's call on us to mi uh, be missionaries and to minister to the people that are right outside our doors as well as to those in the end of the earth. And I'll be completely honest that our, missionary, our, our partnership with Shira Diocese, uh, they're missionaries to us. Right? They're missionaries to us. When you go over there, and uh, I mean, the Advent, uh, for all intents and purposes, you know, a lot of churches, even wealthy churches, operate out of a principle of scarcity. We don't have enough to do that. We don't have enough. When in fact, they're some of the, even the ones that don't think they're wealthy are some of the wealthiest churches in the world. So actually, if you have more than two water spouts, two spigots in your house, you're in the top 30% of wealthy people in the world. Think about that. So that's, that's us, top 30% right here. And, uh, and you go over to a place like Shira Diocese and you see the impact that they have for the gospel and how God is using them. Uh, because when all you've got is the Lord Jesus and the gospel, you don't need much more. 
and we've convinced ourselves that we need to have all these programs, and we, have, uh, we need to let people loose to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, and we need to be about equipping them, which would get us to our next point, uh, discipleship. But I'm going to stop it right there, and uh, I know that we were tight on time today, but I want to leave time for questions, comments, and concerns. A very quick Joe Warren anecdote. Yes. I was, I was in the hospital. Joe came in to see me. I was asleep. So he took hold of the toe of my foot and shook it, and it startled me very badly. I jerked up in bed, and there he stood grinning at me. And I said, Joe, you scared the hell out of me. And without missing a beat, he said, that's my job, brother. That's my job. Well, good for Joe to wake you up, because uh, Frank Limehouse used to make us carry his business cards, and if we went into a hospital room and the patient was asleep, he made us leave his card. Pretty clever. He'll deny it, but he'll lie up front. Is there a team of people that they they see like a new family come in and they say, "Hey, come with me. Uh, you can sit with me, and uh, I help you uh, go along with the service and any questions yeah. afterwards." Uh, I can guide you to the right places and everything. Because um, my first Sunday I came here, July 1st, I happened to run into the Ginolette family, and they sat with me. It's easy to do. There are <laughs> lots of them. And so maybe how can I get involved in something like that yeah. and return the favor? Yeah, I think part of it is just being mindful. Uh, you know, the vestry is doing a very good job of being welcoming. And, um, you know, things like the welcome table was okay, but we need to actually be identifying people and going to them, not waiting for someone to come to the welcome table because, one, you've got to know that it's there and you've got to know what it is. And so I think it's just what you said. It's a culture of seeing someone who might look a little bit lost or that you don't even recognize. And if they're by themselves, invite them to sit with you and, um, and have, a, have a chat with them, which is really hard to do in the flurry of Sunday mornings. But, but I think that that's it, being mindful. Was anything discussed in the outreach um, section about uh, reaching out to internationals in our city? Oh, gosh, And yes. what that would look like? Yes. So um, that, that's something that's really been heavy on my heart. One, how do we partner with the day school? Because you may know that the day school has a significant population, at least by Birmingham standards, of international students. You know, mom or dad is over at UAB doing a postgraduate fellowship or a doctoral degree in something. So they're only here for a little bit of a time. Um, how we can be more intentional about that, but also in addition, especially the Asian community, and I mean subcontinent of India, uh, as well as um, uh, Chinese and Korean and uh, the whole continent really, is at UAB. And not very many people are doing any ministry amongst that group. So one of the things that I did when I was in Sydney was to try to find... Uh, someone who actually might be interested in being a missionary to UAB, uh, to the Asian community. Um, but, of course, here's the thing, is that, you know, as a church, we have to come to a place where we are willing to embrace it totally. Uh, because I think, in principle, people like the idea of, isn't it great? You know, we're reaching out to, let's say, uh, 
Indians and all of a sudden all these, uh, you know, people from South India are starting to come uh, to the Advent. Uh, but, you know, you start, you get 10, 15 families who are from South India, begins to change the place a little bit, doesn't it? And that's hard for people. That's really, really hard. That's send them into the other villages in the surrounding countryside to get something to eat. So I think that that's something as a church we really need to be deliberate about praying about that, um, that, you know, every church wants to grow. They just want it to grow with people just like them. Uh, And that's, of course, impossible. And so with growth, you're going to have change. But at the Advent, I I think that this morning being a very good example of it, um, we can't lose touch with who we are and where we've been uh, in order to know where we're headed. And so I think, you know, staying close linked to that, um, we're not going to have an identity crisis at the Advent. But I do think that with new people coming to the Advent, especially if they are from uh, a different culture, then that's something that that we need to be prepared for and and to think of ways in which we can be hospitable to them when they come to hear the gospel. I have a simple gesture that would make us more welcoming. Too many of us like to sit on the aisle seat. And when people come in, in order to find a place, they got to crawl over everybody to sit down. Do you think that it would be a little more welcoming to scoot over to the middle so that people can come and find a seat and then introduce yourself to them? It's very simple, but all of us know what I'm talking about. I mean, I guess the answer is if you want an aisle seat, just come in late. Um, no, I mean, I think that that's it. Yeah, it's scrunching in is, is, is an important way uh, to do things. And it is hard from the back to see where there are empty seats. Um, but, yeah, just being, a, you know, Sarah Jane, uh, you're right, just being welcoming uh, to folks. Uh, they make me work at 11 o'clock. Uh, are you all okay? All right, okay. Well, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for gathering us together uh, as your people, and we pray that you would uh, continue to raise up laborers for the vineyard and that we would go with a boldness, not in our own strength, uh, but in the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, trusting the Holy Spirit to plow up hard hearts that as we sow the seeds of the gospel, that they would be watered by him and brought to great fruition for their good, but above all, for your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.